Hello! Welcome to Academic Conversation with Merton and Morgan. I'm Mary. And I'm Alicia. And today is our second episode in a seven-part series um, talking about Tani McGregor's book, Ink and Ideas. And tonight we're going to be discussing Chapter 1, More Than Just a Pretty Page, Sketchnoting Words and Pictures Together. Great. So let's start off talking about what we mean by sketchnoting. First of all, there are some overlapping terms, as often happens in our field, the field of education. You can come across the same thing with different names. I'm not really sure why that happens to us so much, but it does, right? Yes, things tend to recycle with a different term. With a different name. So (laughs) let's get some of the names out there that are associated with sketchnoting. One is edge sketching. Another is visual note-taking, graphic representation, and also non-linguistic representation. And that one's been out there for a while. Yes. We talked a little bit about it last time. So let's get to the definition. The definition as Tani states it in her book. So she says um, sketchnoting is really words and pictures working together. And she says on the very first page of the chapter... They can work together to communicate more powerfully than either alone. And I think we've seen that through student writing, especially. Yes, we've seen students be able to capture their ideas in drawing sometimes much better than they can when they just try to write about it without drawing first. And then especially new writers or novice writers use those non-linguistic representations to actually tell their story or help them write, whether it's adding detail or remembering what they wrote the day before, which new writers, it's hard for them to keep that story in their, in their mind. And so pictures and um, words definitely work together. We, we've seen that over and over again. She also has the words creative and individualized in the definition that she offers on um, page three. And I love that she added those words because You and I definitely have our focus, each of us, um, on early writers and on English learners who can be at the earliest stages of language acquisition. And oftentimes their command of the English language hasn't yet caught up with their conceptual understanding and drawing is a way that you can get at that with them. But also there are a lot of kids who just prefer to draw. They like it. It's fun for them. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel comfortable. And I think that should be an option for any kid. And I know that in her, uh, in that definition, it says that note-taking, individualized note-taking. But we talked too about note-taking versus note-making. And to me, if a child is capturing that information they're learning in that visual way, that's really making notes for themselves. And it's individualized. And she talks later, and we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. But um, it's really personalized for that student. And, and they're really going to remember and retain that information if they're able to, to document it in a way that makes sense to them. We kind of talked about that in the episode one. We did. And hearing you say that reminds me of teaching kids to use their scaffolds, their accommodations, the things that help them learn. And we call that self-advocacy and we teach kids to own instructional accommodation. So in other words, if I need you to simplify what you're saying as a teacher and I'm a student, I should be able to say to you, 
Could you say that a different way or could you say that again? This sketch noting strategy to me is another way for a kid to advocate for their own learning. Their notes should be about their own thinking. It shouldn't be something they copy word for word from someone else. I could not agree more. And if, if they are note making, they're completely engaged, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because they're making decisions on the fly. Absolutely. It's just exciting. There's so much more thinking involved here than there is in typical note taking. Yes. Sketch noting unleashes a reader's thinking using color, shape, and letters Flooding the page. I love that. Flooding the page. That term, it just makes me imagine something beautiful that's going to come from a kid's mind. It also says in the book that it makes thinking visible, which we know those receptive language domains, reading and listening. It can be so hard for us to know what a kid really knows or what they're attempting to do unless we can get them to use one of the expressive domains. And if writing... Uh, isn't always the thing that they gravitate to, then why not add visuals to that? Well, and I, th- I think it helps too for a teacher to know what point are you in, in your understanding. And so you're able as a teacher to, to make those teaching points or those teaching decisions on the fly to meet a child's mm-hmm. needs because now you have a visual representation of, mm-hmm. of where their thinking is over what you're teaching. And that, that's pretty powerful. And you can adapt and respond right in real time. In real time. To that child. Yes. It's actually really challenging to do. Also, when you start sketchnoting, you realize it, that you have to make a decision about what do you most want to capture and how can you do that in the best way. It can be hard. It can be kind of daunting, especially if you're like me and maybe you where we were taught the old school way where you try to get every single thing down. It can be hard to let go of that, but I think that our kids gravitate to it because we're elementary teachers. They haven't been taught uh, as much as maybe older kids that they need to capture every single word during a presentation or a lecture. Agreed. And I'm thinking about as elementary school teachers, we tend to make the notes for them in in the form of an anchor chart. Mm -hmm. That's where we capture their thinking. But reading this book, I'm starting to kind of shift my thinking. I've I've seen online where teachers have made the anchor chart and then they take a picture of it and put it in each child's notebook so they have that anchor, which I think is a great scaffold. But now reading Tani's book, I'm like, wow, they can do that for themselves. Yes. And they would have their own, if you will, anchor chart Mm -hmm. in their notebook that they have created and... I mean, that to me is mind-blowing. Right, because you can still have your anchor chart that represents what you did together. That could still be displayed, but for the kid to have their own, that takes me back to Marzano again with the vocabulary. And I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but let's just let it go. Uh, Marzano, uh, I read some research about Marzano's own own studies into what most helped students be successful with his vocabulary strategies. So in other words, what do teachers do correctly or maybe not so correctly to help kids acquire vocabulary using his process, okay? And he said one of the things that really will make it less effective is if a teacher draws the non-linguistic representation for the kid and the kid copies that into an organizer. He said in his research that the the act of the kid drawing a simple symbol or something, it doesn't have to be elaborate, but it has to be their own picture. When they do that themselves, 
that adds to their conceptual knowledge. And now that I'm reading all this, I'm thinking it makes sense. It makes so much sense. He also said they need to make their own um, definition. They have to. Yes. They can't just, even if it's student friendly. So I just want to add that in there. That's also important. But I love this too, because I feel like as, um, at all levels, but especially elementary, right? We are always giving them tools so they can be independent. Yes. Independent. Moving them to Learn independence. independent writers, mm-hmm. independent readers. And to be not only an independent anchor on your own, to think for yourself, to think deeply on your own. And I think this is just a tool that helps with that. I wanted to say, too, about the um, anchor charts. You had mentioned earlier um, this evening when we were talking about anchor charts and it just hit me that anchor charts are really examples of sketch noting. Teachers are sketch noting all the time when they're making their own anchor chart. And sometimes it's really tempting to copy someone else's or you know, even sometimes teachers print them. They make a poster out of somebody's beautiful anchor chart. But I think that goes back to the same thing Marzano was talking about. You have to do it yourself. It has to be your thinking on display. And that's where the fear of drawing comes in. And Tanny's going to help us all with our fear of drawing. <laughs> our little kids don't have a fear of drawing, no, do they, Alicia? No, not at all. No fear. None. And we need to be more like them because there are a lot of things like little simple things you can practice, icons and, and borders and things like that that are so easy to make. Um, but, yeah, those anchor charts are really sketch notes. Well, and, it, and it's supposed to capture the students in front of you what they th- think about the content but if they can capture their their own thinking in their own way with their own colors with their own organizational style to me that just that's a whole nother level that's rigorous yeah all right so i want to talk a little bit about dual coding theory by pavio i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly it's on page five in the book and that's some research behind the fact that Verbal and nonverbal codes work together flexibly and in our brain. So what did you think about that? I absolutely agree. And I have a little mini sketch note because I'm trying this out myself. <laughs> she and gave it, us big and margins. It, it, it is harder when you have to think about the color you're going to choose, your visual. Um, but I have emergent writers right here because, to, and I know I keep going back to writing, but For me, this just encompasses everything that a new writer or a struggling writer does with the pictures and the words. They just work together. Mm -hmm. And so I I had my little sketch noting here and and talking about, you know, the words evoke images and images evoke words. And it's just this reciprocal process. Yes. Really. So for me, yes, this is right up my alley. I I have the little sketch of the pencil, the paper, emergent writers. And I know you see this with your L's. The students that you work with too, your English language learners, they need both of those things. It just it it just propels yes their writing and their learning to a, a whole nother level. Yes. I like um, the quote from Marzano about non linguistic strategies require students to generate a representation of new information that doesn't rely on language. And so for some kids that's freedom because they think visually anyway. And for other kids, they can learn to develop that visual thinking. That side can be stronger so it can work with the linguistic piece. It also talks in the book about student choice and how personalized annotation leads to maximum student choice. You had some things to say about this earlier. So we are always talking about uh, pushing kids to be more independent, to think on their own, to be able to make decisions and 
And you think about kindergarten, first grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, eventually they're going to have to make life decisions and and choices. And we've both worked in high poverty schools. And Mm -hmm. one of the big reasons that we, we love those most needy schools is because we want to give students tools to have their own opinions, have their own voice. When they're adults, information and knowledge is power, and we we want them to have the tools to be able to make informed decisions and choices for themselves. And and I think that this is just another tool to say, this is how I learn. I need this, just like you're saying for the accommodation. Advocate for yourself. Right. This is my learning style. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, This is what I need. This is how I learn. And just giving them another choice. Maybe they don't use sketchnoting. Maybe they're more comfortable with just writing it down. But at least they have, and she calls it an instructional strategy, which I love. It yeah. is definitely an instructional strategy. <laughs> and they have just another strategy to use and, and to choose from. And to be able to have a choice of what medium they use, whether it's marker, colored pencil, just a regular pencil if they choose pens, at least they have just those choices of materials too that I don't think we think about. And we've talked about that in one of our podcasts about writing and how those tool choices are really important. So yes, I'm definitely all about the student choice piece and she just brings that to life. And I love that color is a factor. I cannot wait to get to that chapter. I know you can't, you love your color. And it's funny because you and I are sitting here together and you have the book in front of you, paper form, and you've written literally in it with your colored pens. I've written in my book, but I also have I have my iPad here that I can write on with a stylus using color choices. And I've learned to really rely on the iPad because it's just easier to make it portable. But there's so many different choices that we're not really making use of, I think, for all of our kids. And students have to be exposed to know that they have those choices Mm -hmm. in the first place. Right. And I don't know why I haven't mentioned this, but I work in a performing arts school, and we also have a strong visual arts teacher, and I can't wait to talk to her about this because I know that she's going to love it. And she could easily help us develop, you know, a library of icons that all the kids could draw and talk to them. They already know a lot about color choices and hot and cool and what those represent. I can just only imagine my kids probably have a lot better repertoire for sketch noting than I oh, I'm sure. ever will. <laughs> all right. Do we want to mention Hattie? Yes. Making learning visible. We talk a lot about Hattie in our environment where we work, and we are fans of Hattie's thinking around high-impact strategies, and he talks about making learning visible, and this is one way to do that. He talks about the um, difference between um, concept mapping and the other methods is that it involves students in the development of the organizational tool. Yeah. And I think we we keep talking about that, but mm-hmm. again, another choice, how am I going to organize these thoughts or this information? It's challenging. Like you said, if you're not used to it, I'm starting to kind of delve into it and it's, I'm a very linear <laughs> in order left to right. And so you can't see it because it's a podcast, but all my professional books are tabbed. And yes. Mary just went, see, uh-huh. they're tabbed and color coded. Yes. Um, because that's just how I think. That's how my brain works. And so I definitely think students having a choice about how they organize their thoughts is, is important. And um, personalized and choice will really lead to 
more independence. That's that's the whole point, I think. I'm thinking about that organizer uh, quote you just read. I think about how when I want my kids to have a concept or I want them to write about something especially, the first thing I do is start thinking about what kind of organizer will help them see how this works, how it goes together. And sometimes I'll, you know, I'll go to Google and I'll try to find one, but most times I end up looking at different things and making my own, you know, and I have some programs that I use, you know, that I really like because they allow me to use different shapes and things like that. So that really should be the goal for our kids too. They should be able to think visually in that way so that they can represent, you know, how things fit together, really. I was talking to fifth graders about this today. They don't understand what pre-writing is. They don't, they get an organizer and they think that it's like a homework assignment or something or a worksheet. And what they do is they try to write their whole story Whatever they're writing, they try to fill that organizer up with as much writing. And I don't know if it's back needs to back up to fourth, third. I don't know. I don't really know where that breakdown comes from. But I've had to talk to those kids so many times. I stop them and say, what part of the writing process is this? And sometimes they can't even come up with pre-writing because they're not used to the graphic the words being succinct, they're just bullet points, you know? They think that they have, the more I write, the better, the better grade, the more points. And that's because they haven't really been immersed in this kind of thinking. That's the first time I've actually thought about that. Well, and, and don't, don't you find a lot of students, too, are used to stopping at the organizer? <laughs> so they think that that's the product. Yes. Or that's the end result. Yes. Have you ever had... Students, you you give an organizer and it actually confuses them. Yes. Instead of helping them mm-hmm. organize their thoughts. Yeah. I've had that too, where it and we totally just throw it out because they're like, okay, I don't, I don't understand how to use this because it doesn't match their thinking, thinking and their way of breaking that task down. Just like when I was looking on Google trying to find an organizer, I looked at multiple peoples and thought, eh, I like that one sort of, I like that part about, but I also want, and then I make my own. That's what the kids need to be able to do. And now that I'm thinking about that, that's not, that sounds a little bit daunting, but if you head into it with this frame of mind about visual thinking, then it's not, it's not daunting at all. That's exactly where it organically is going to go. This book, it makes me think and so much. And it's just chapter much. one. It's only chapter one. We haven't even met the color wheels yet, Alicia, but I, I bet know. you've already, Anyways. I see that you have it tab, so I know you've looked at it. <laughs> all right. So, strengthening memory. We talked about this, too. Yes. Typing versus writing and what sketchnoting is about. In the book, Chapter 1, it talks about um, sketchnoting, um, and it's not about a prepared slide. It's about taking new ideas and information and running them through the brain, mixing and stirring with existing background knowledge to generate new thinking. Sketchnotes help us paraphrase, determine importance, summarize, synthesize. In turn, we remember. How much time do we spend trying to help kids meet those strategies and be able to use them? And with sketchnoting, it's just a natural part of what they do. What do you think when you read that? I have it highlighted and then a little squiggly beside it. And bracketed and starred. Um, Because... I um, work in a district where we are in the world of computers and Google 
And although I love Google Docs, we get to share information with our teams. They're I great. love that piece. For collaborating. We're doing great. a lot of typing. Mm-hmm. And our students are doing a lot of typing. And so when I read this, it kind of stopped me, honestly. And I was like, oh, whoa, we're doing a lot on Chromebooks. And so I'm thinking about those fourth and fifth graders and high school kids and how much are they really retaining if they're typing everything on a document mm-hmm. instead of instead of writing. And um, I worked with a colleague and she was an excellent typist. She would look at you as you were talking and she typed, no mistakes. But when we were in meetings or something really important, she would still bring her notebook. And I would say, you're such a great typist. Why are you doing that? And she said, because it helps me remember. And when I read that beginning of that paragraph, I thought about her immediately. Because she still, even though she could type like the wind, she always had a notebook and pencil and paper for something that she felt, this is important. I need to know this. I'm still going to write it down. Right. And um, that sketch notes help strengthen the memory just. Um, Fed right into yes, that. And I wonder absolutely. if she just intuited that or if she read that somewhere. I'm we'll have to ask her if she knows that that's backed up by research. I don't know if that's why she does it. I think she just did it because that was her comfort level. And she knew that that's what she, how noticed, she learned right? and how she remembered. Well, I was telling you about my two kids who are now, I have three kids, but two of my kids who are in grad school and in college. And they both told me from high school on that they don't type their notes on a laptop. When they're in a class session and they're learning, they always write their notes out. And they are the cell phone, iPhone, you know, generation. They love those tools, but they both said that they feel like they remember better when they write the notes out. And when I read that research, this isn't the first time I've been exposed to that, but when I read that research, I remembered them telling me that. And they both still do that. So, yes, we need to, as we often find in our field, we tend to go completely one direction or the other. We many times have a hard time finding the middle way or a hybrid or a true, like you say, a choice of tools that can work together. So the typing, the computers, those things are so important and they're great. Yes. But kids need time to also use motor skills and think visually. I just just think it goes back to what we were saying earlier. You use your tools at the appropriate time for the appropriate product. For your purpose. For your purpose, Mm -hmm. right. What is your intention? What is your purpose? And what tool do you need? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's good for them to be exposed to everything so they can have, have choices. I have to talk about this quote that she has on page seven where she says, sketch noting is an equal opportunity invitation to deeper thinking while listening, reading, or reflecting. Every classroom could use more response options like that. I 100% agree. (laughs) Yeah. It promotes greater recall, Mm -hmm. and it's easier retrieval of information from the brain. A deeper synthesis of what, what was read, viewed, or heard. I just, to me, that's just deeper learning, higher order thinking, personalized learning, all of those things that Hattie talks about, mm-hmm. that um, Marzano talks about, mm-hmm. and, and that students need. Uh, we hear often in our profession that students need to be the ones doing the work. They need to be the ones doing the thinking. And I think this is just a, a platform that 
really in, encourages that and gives us a, a great way to do that that any child at any stage can do. That's what I love about oh, it. Whether yeah. they're five, whether they're 15. Yes. Right. And thinking about how many times have we talked about the writing process. If you go back prior to kindergarten, but sometimes our kindergartners are here too, and you look at how writing evolves in stages and development, it starts with drawing. It starts with kids drawing things and those things evolve into what they think is a word or, you know, letters and, and squiggles even. It, it's it's that those approximations at writing are drawing. It's drawing before it's writing. And those squiggles already have meaning for that yeah, child. It carries meaning. And I just have to back up for a minute because, Alicia, you and I are literacy professionals. We've spent a lot of time learning how to teach listening, speaking, reading, and writing, correct? Yes. And so those... Four strategies, paraphrasing, determining importance, summarizing, and synthesizing. I just cannot get over those four. Those are so key to kids being able to continue their own learning, like you keep talking about independence or transfer. Those things are the things that give them that ability. And to get to, for them to have a strategy where they can demonstrate from any stage that they are doing those things cognitively, to me, that is a real, don't like game changer, but I guess it is a game changer. I'm going to use it this time. It it, it definitely is um, for that learner. Absolutely. Yes. All right. So we talked a little bit about a strategy called sketch to stretch because we had both been familiar with this. I'm older than Alicia, but when I was in my undergrad, we were talking a lot about whole language. That was the thing. And I remember hearing about sketch to stretch back then. And it, it's come up multiple times during my career. And I've always thought it was a great strategy. During sketch to stretch, you do you read a selection. The kids draw sketches that illustrate key ideas and details. And they present their drawings to explain how they make connections with the information revealed in the text. And there are other variations on that. But if you think about sketch to stretch as a strategy, and if you've done it with kids, then you know how engaged they get when you allow them the freedom to express themselves visually, then that makes sense in light of what we know about sketchnoting. Is that a strategy that you would use before, Alicia? Yes. And we will actually have a link to this on our blog. I know Linda Hoyt has it in her book, and there are other places you can find it as well. There is a great activity on Read, Write, Think, which is the lesson plan platform for NCTE. And it's called Guided Comprehension, Visualizing Using the Sketch to Stretch Strategy. It's for intermediate elementary. And it fits just beautifully with this philosophy of words and pictures working together. And I think we talk a lot about the, the elementary students. Um, but I know, unfortunately, not just in our state, but in many states across the country, even um, middle school students are having trouble with reading um, yes. comprehension. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that some of these strategies that we talk about can absolutely be used at the middle school level and even at the high school level as well. So we talk about elementary because that's where we live right now. But I think if you are an educator of any level, and you have students that need some of these strategies, they can definitely be applied to 
um, to your students as well. Yes, I agree. And uh, Tani has an example of somebody in high school's uh, notes, I think biology notes, that are very visually engaging. And I remember when you first saw that, do you remember what you said about your son? When you first saw those notes? Oh, I said my son would, would love that. That would be right up his alley. He um, He's a doodler. He's a sketcher. He is not one to take notes the traditional way. And so sketch noting would be something right up his alley. Yeah, you immediately said, yes. oh, he would love that. Okay, so another point that we don't want to neglect to discuss is traditional note taking versus note making. And in the book, uh, we read that traditional note taking combined with reflection is what actually works. So it's that reflective piece. How often are kids reflecting when they're note taking? I would dare to say not that often. No. Unless a teacher's using a specific note note-taking uh, strategy Sorry. with summarizing and reflecting built-in like Cornell notes and, and sometimes um, double entry journals, things like that. But I don't see a lot, a whole lot of that going on, um, at least not in my environment. And not only does traditional note-taking without reflection have less effectiveness, but also we know that note making is the most effective way of remembering information. And you know a lot about that. What do you want to say about note making? I think we we touched on it earlier Mm -hmm. um, a little bit, but just um, just that it's it's engaging, number one. Mm -hmm. Um, They're listening versus just I can I can be copying something off the board and not hear a word that you're saying. Right. And then go back and read my notes and not know anything I've, I've written because mm-hmm. I'm thinking of my mind is somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But I can still copy something. Or you have students who have a hard time transferring from the board or transferring from what you're saying and listening. So I have to listen I have to think about how I'm going to write that down, how it's spelled in some of our students' cases. And by the time I get that word out, you are already maybe a paragraph or a couple sentences ahead and I'm lost. Right. So I think the the sketching is actually not only better for students who have trouble writing, but it's more efficient because I can feel like I can sketch something out a lot quicker than I can write it out. True. I hadn't thought Um, of it that way. That's true. Um, also, back to Marzano, our friend again, and we think about him because we have experienced Marzano and Hattie so much in our school district. So, and we we respect both yes. of them and yes. their work, and we think it's it's incredibly helpful. Um, but Marzano talks both about non linguistic representations being a research-based strategy for increasing student achievement. And he also discusses note, summarizing and note-taking. And he says that note-making is the way to help kids to be able to remember. And he does talk about incorporating visuals into that. I know that my colleagues and I who work with English learners have read um, books about these Marzano strategies specifically adapted for English learners. And that's where the visual piece gets really um, increased, especially for kids with low English proficiency. So those things I think of almost like a life raft for some kids, you know, for some kids, it's fun. For some kids, it's not really their thing. 
But for some kids, it is literally, it's a life raft. They can show you what they know because they're allowed to use that venue of drawing. And we'd also mentioned sort of uh, related annotation and how close reading became something that we learned about when the Common Core came out. And we've read about um, the idea of reading with a pen in hand or reading with a pencil in hand. And although that can be taken too far at times, we know that when kids are given a chance to annotate, and we talked about this last time, that's when they can really personalize and share their thinking around a text, especially if they get to revisit it for different purposes. And I think, too, we mentioned this earlier, but it's just a, it's another opportunity to, to catch misconceptions, I think. Yeah. That you normally would have missed. Because you wouldn't have known. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, too, you know, you were, you were talking about kids falling behind during traditional note-taking that they might, you know, just be struggling to catch up and just sort of trying to copy things. I see that a lot, especially with newcomers in, a, let's say, a fifth-grade classroom. I've seen kids even pass one person's notebook around so everyone can furiously because the one kid could keep up with the teacher and the teacher would change the notes and everyone would be panicked and so the one kid in the group who could keep up would show their notebook around and everybody but none of the kids could read the notes back you know they're at that stage where they're copying they're doing mimic writing they're kind of playing school until they really understand it and i've just seen them so stressed out trying to keep up with that and how a simple labeled picture would have probably been a great way to include all of those kids. Yeah. And, and what a waste of their time. <laughs> you, I mean, do you know? Yeah. What, what did they get from that, that lesson right. or that? Yeah. Well, so they learned strategy they would have, have to write them. really fast and don't right. make sure that the teacher doesn't take the notes away before you're done. <laughs> Or well, find a friend who's a good note taker. Well, I mean, we, we've all done that, right? We've all been furiously note taking and I'm thinking about going to the beach or, right. you know, your mind wanders, right? right? That's a reading strategy where we say, okay, if your mind wanders, go back in the text. Right. Um, reread that part that you missed. So, well, I was I, thinking that if you are accustomed to trying to capture your thinking visually, then maybe you would be more likely to stop the teacher and clarify something, you know, rather than it being seen as just a furious copying exercise if you know you're supposed to be making sense of it and you're trying to make a picture out of it and you don't know how to do it, maybe then you would ask for what you need, which is clarification or paraphrasing or, you know, something to be shared with you a different way so that you understand it. I don't know. It just hit me. I don't know if that's true, but it seems like it could be. I feel like it could be. And I feel like it's, it's engagement. I mean, I, I know I keep saying that word, but I just feel like that's natural engagement. And you talk about being an advocate for yourself. That's another, right. um, Right. To be a self advocate. And, but you um, have to know that those notes are for you and should make sense to you. And you should be able to actually tell somebody else what they mean later before you know what to ask for during the note making exercise. You know, the kids that were furiously trying to copy their understanding of notes was just something that you try to write really fast. If you don't keep up, the teacher's not going to be happy. You know, that's all they knew. They didn't really understand what that they were supposed to own that information. And they didn't have it. So, Mary, I know that this is probably your favorite part. What? <laughs> so, she talks about um, sketch notes enhance focus and reduce stress. Oh, so, yes. I'm going to let you talk about 
That's because you got excited when we talked. I got so excited about it because you know we have we see so many um, coloring books that are out now for stress reduction, and uh, you know I have a friend who's daughter was critically ill for a long time in the hospital and we would always bring her different coloring books different types of pencils different types of watercolor you know those things really did seem to help her a lot but I never thought about sketch noting being something that could reduce stress and why not because you're looking at color you're looking at shapes you're working with design you're looking at content you're putting all of those things together and there's a um, study by Kamal, Ray, and Muniz, 2016, that Tani talks about. And she said a stress-related hormone of cortisol, which we all know is the enemy of the brain, right, and the body, our immune system, everything, that um, it's measured um, after subjects created visual art and 75% saw a reduction in their cortisol levels. So it's healthier for our brain and our body if we can sketch isn't that great you're right i am excited about that because our kids are stressed out yeah yes they're very very stressed out adults are stressed out Mm -hmm. kids are feeling that we have a lot of kids dealing with trauma we have a lot of kids dealing with um, adult issues and why not let them bring the strategy into their learning that will actually help them reduce their stress level. Now, I will say that with a caution though, because they have to know they can draw. They, we have to get past, with the older kids, we'll have to get past the whole, I can't draw and being afraid that someone else is going to laugh at what they drew. But I really think we can get them past that, don't you? Well, and, and I think to caution to say sketch noting is not for a grade. It's mm-hmm. personal. It's the way that they are receiving and documenting information it's not something to be Mm -hmm. graded analyzed critiqued Mm -hmm. right wouldn't you say absolutely yes Um, sorry go ahead oh that's okay I was just thinking about our visual arts teacher again at my school I mean I know that she could be really helpful if I talk to her about that how do I how do you get your third fourth and fifth graders to not be so inhibited about drawing I know that she would have some really good ideas about that. Well, and I think if they knew it was just for their eye, you know, if they knew yeah. it was for them, it's not something that has to be shared. Yeah. Uh, maybe the teacher just wants to check it to make sure the content yeah. that they're t- is correct, but it's, you know, it's personalized. Mm-hmm. So it shouldn't, um, it's not up for, for public consumption unless, like you said, those kids that are sharing their notes around the table want to. Yeah. And some of them will want to. Uh, this was making me think, too, about some kids that I work with who are really struggling readers, and they recently read a play, and so they're going to make a digital story of that play, um, and I asked them, how do they want to include pictures? Do they want to put photos into the story? Uh, what do they want to do? And immediately, the one student who's the more struggling of the struggling students said, I want to draw the pictures, and they're very sophisticated pictures. This is an um, ancient tale from Mexico, and so there are pictures of people in traditional costume and things like that, and this kid drew all, I mean, I have them displayed on the wall in my room, and everyone keeps walking in and saying, what is that? And, you know, I said, oh, Diego did that. That's for their their digital story that they're going to, make and he was happier doing that than I have ever seen him 
in class. I know, I know. But, you know, he had to practice the, re the part that he read, the part that they're going to do um, for this, the, the parts that they're going to read. It's a play. He had to practice his part. I mean, it's been weeks now that he's been working on practicing it. So it sounds really fluent. But when it came time to draw the pictures, which I would be terrified and the other kids were like, I'll, I'll do the coloring. I can, there's no way I can draw that. He immediately said, can I do it? And can I take some of those home? Because I'd like to work on them at home too. So, you know, I think about, I guess this is related to stress. Okay. Because I know he spends most of his day afraid that someone's going to ask him to do something that's going to make him feel less than other kids. And he's a really sweet kid. He's very sensitive. And you can see the look on his face when he has something hard to do. I can see his face and I have to say, Diego, you can do this. We're going to do it step by step. You're going to practice and you'll get good at it. And it was so beautiful to see him just immediately say, I want to do that. And can I take it home with a big smile on his face? So, you know what I think I need to do is we need to put some of those pictures Absolutely. on <laughs> with the on podcast our on, yes. Our, yes, on our yes. website. We will do that. We'll definitely put it on the blog. Thank you for letting me talk about that because that just, you know, that just really hit me. Um, so, that kind of fits with the next piece, which is design. Um, let's talk about the ingredient of design. She has um, in this chapter under sketch notes embrace design that there's an ingredient missing here that when added invigorates our thinking and takes it to levels we didn't know were possible that ingredient is design and we know how fun we think design is don't we alicia yes but i really did love the quote uh, and it is my favorite and i even put this on twitter because it really made me think about content and design. You want to read that one? Content precedes design. Design in the absence of content is not design, it's decoration. And that's by Jeffrey Zeldman. And how much of what we do is decoration is my question. What we do or well, in general? I mean, in general, what is done? what is done in some of our educational settings, how much of it is would fall under that um, idea of decoration? I would say t too much. <laughs> too much, definitely. And it's this made us love this chapter so much because we always talk about content being missing. Um, it's almost like it's difficult to talk about content anymore. We go to whole professional development sessions where we don't hear anything about content. Is that right? Yes, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> unfortunately, and... It's fun to learn about tools and it's fun um, to learn about ideas, but unless they help us teach the content, then it's just decoration. And Mary, you, you talk about this a lot too, that you have to know the content that you're teaching in order to determine what tools you're going to need. Yes. So the content comes first and then you decide, okay, what tools will fit this? Just like you were saying about the graphic organizer. I had to think about which graphic organizer is going to be better to teach this particular type of content. So I think sometimes we put the design and the materials before the content. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really, okay, I'm going to teach this topic or this strategy or this skill what materials are going to be best suited to do that instead of, oh, this is cute. I'm going to teach this because it's 
cute or right. or or whatever the fascination or is. Or kids right? will think it's fun or, or engagement, but there's different types of engagement, right? Some engagement comes from hard thinking. <laughs> Sketch the noting. best engagement, I think, comes from hard thinking and that struggle, that striving that you have to have to get through it and that grit and that, you know, the growth mindset, all of those pieces that are important to get you through the struggle and the striving. And I feel like this is this sketch noting is something that's a tool that kids can actually enjoy using while they're engaged in that process. Well, this takes me to um, technology because you know I love technology, right? Yes. Oh my gosh, I never thought I would like it so much, but I was lucky enough to have an incredibly talented um, professor in my grad school when I got my second master's who taught about digital literacy, and that changed everything for me, even at a later stage in my career. And one thing that we learned in his class was that the content and the pedagogy always precede the technology tool that you choose. So it's content, it's the what, and then it's pedagogy or the how. So what what are you going to teach and how do your kids learn? How are they going to learn it best? Oh, now you select the tool. You don't start with the tool and say, oh, this is a fun tool. How can I use this? I'll make this fit with this thing. Sometimes that might work, but when you put the tool first, it's not necessarily going to be a match for every kid. And I think what I love to do with tech is use it for kids to use it to create like, like Diego and his group when they're using the digital story as a medium to share something that they did that they worked hard on with other teachers and with parents and wherever we can link that story, we're going to link it so people can see it. So um, I just really resonate to that idea that the content precedes whatever (laughs) design, text selection, whatever it is. And then knowing your kids, knowing your kids and how they learn is so important. And I would, dare say that I'm probably heavier on the pedagogy side because my whole career is about has been about how do I take what this teacher wants this kid to learn right or the standard and then knowing what I know about the student's language proficiency how do I make that possible for them right and then I know there are other people that feel stronger on the standards and on the content and they need help maybe from someone like me or one of my ECE colleagues or someone like that to help them understand the pedagogy piece but those two things really have to fit together and then you go for the tool yes (laughs) all right here is one more quote design satisfies the need for simplification of our thinking and links it with emotion that's that whole relationship piece the emotional piece that's where the learning really happens when we link it to our emotions right yes Mm -hmm. And we've read that in um, Prost and the Squid. Yes. Oh, we did. She talked a lot about. She did. Yeah. Um, how the reading brain. Story. Yes. How we, yes. How reading literature does that. It develops our ability to be empathetic. All right. And also the simplification. I think this whole sketch noting piece is interesting also because there's so much information out there for kids to know now. It's not that they can't find the information. Hello, teachers. They don't need us writing, you know, a hundred miles an hour on the document camera. Cause guess what? They can find all that stuff. 
what they need to learn how to do is choose what's important, synthesize, summarize, determine importance, infer, and take that and decide about it, make decisions about the knowledge, right? So yes. this is a whole, this is like a, to me, a 21st century way of looking at information. Because we have information overload. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, so I com- I completely agree. And I, I love that it is an instructional strategy that, like I said before, any child has access to at any stage. Yeah. Any child can do this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about it. And they kind of probably are doing it on the side. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. So it's okay to say, hey, yeah, let's use this. This is a strategy that could help you. Let's bring this into the mainstream. Let's give you some tools. Yeah. So... We've said a lot about chapter one. We probably need to wrap up. We have said a lot about chapter one. It was And it was just chapter one. There's still the rest of this book to go. No, I'm excited. We're very excited. So hopefully, listeners, you will join us for the next episodes. And we will be back next week with chapter two. All right. See you next time. See you next time.